Hello, I'm Sherry House, a missionary living in Thailand who loves to study the lives of great women of whom it can be said she hath done what she could. Welcome to Silhouettes, my weekly story about a lady whose life challenges, encourages, and teaches me. I hope as you listen today, your heart will be encouraged and challenged too to do what you can for the Lord. So grab a cup of tea, sit back and enjoy. Let me tell you her story. Eunice Pike was born on November 6, 1913 in East Woodstock, Connecticut. She was the youngest of eight children born to a country doctor. Eunice followed in her father's medical footsteps and graduated from Massachusetts General Hospital School of Nursing in 1936 at the age of 22. Eunice, known for her sense of humor, also had a heart to serve the Lord and was fascinated with the linguistic work her brother, Kenneth Pike, had been doing in Mexico. Upon her graduation, Eunice enrolled in Cameron Townsend's training program called the Summer Institute of Linguistics. It was a fairly new endeavor, but with the founding of Wycliffe Bible Translators in 1933 and the summer training program, many were catching Townsend's vision for Bible translation and getting a copy of God's Word to every people in their native tongue. Eunice met her ministry partner and lifelong friend, Florence Hansen, at the training program that summer. When their course was finished, they were both determined to put their training to use on the field and felt the Lord was calling them to go to Mexico to do linguistic work for the Mazatec Indians in Oaxaca State. The idea of women doing Bible translation work didn't sit too well with everyone already, but the thought of them doing it on the foreign field in dangerous territory all by themselves was another thing entirely. When Cameron Townsend enthusiastically brought the matter to his colleagues, protests of criticism that included everything from the danger the women might face on the field to the fear of the criticism that would surely come to the training program for sending two single ladies to an Indian tribe where no male missionaries had ever been sent almost swayed him, but Townsend pleaded on the ladies' behalf. Finally, he was told the decision would be left up to him, but they were not happy about it. When he went back to talk to Eunice and Florence and voiced the concerns that had been raised, the ladies were surprised and said to him, Why don't you believe God can take care of us? With that, the decision was sealed. Eunice and Florence would be sent as Bible translators to the people God had called them to, with Townsend's full support. A few months later, Eunice's brother helped the two ladies move to the remote mountainous village, helped them rent a house, and helped them learn a few Mazatec words before he went back to his own work, which was about a three to four days journey on foot. The women quickly got settled and began focusing on their work, which was to reduce the language of the Mazatec Indians to writing, teach the people to read, and use their linguistic skills to translate the New Testament into the Mazatec language. Eunice's nursing skills proved helpful as well in making inroads into learning the customs and language of the people, and the Mazatec learned to love these two peculiar women who came to live among them. Eunice's focus was on the linguistic analysis of the Mazatec tonal and grammatical system and on literacy. In 1941, just six short years after arriving in the village, the Mazatec New Testament was complete, the first in the history of Mexico's indigenous Indian languages. Eunice continued to live in the village for the next 37 years. Florence eventually got married, and Eunice was joined by a number of other co-workers during her time there. The translators used whatever means available to them to give the gospel to those who would listen. They participated in Bible studies and often sold scripture portions and Christian books that had been translated in the markets as a means of connecting with the people. 
Eunice began spending summers traveling all over the world as a consultant for Townsend's training program, helping colleagues with linguistic challenges they faced, teaching courses and workshops to train new translators, and encouraging others to get involved in the great work they were trying to accomplish. Eunice was a well-loved teacher, and many attributed their successes in their own translation work to her high academic standards and innovative field work in the areas of phonology and tonal analysis. Eunice continued analyzing sound systems and developing alphabets until her retirement in 1998 at the age of 85. Over the course of her life, Eunice had over 70 books and articles published about her life with the Mazatec people, her translation work, and her studies and findings about advanced linguistics. What thrilled her heart the most, though, was listening to one Mazatec Indian take the Bible in their native tongue and explain a truth about God to another Mazatec Indian. Eunice passed away on August 18, 2011, in Dallas, Texas, at the age of 97, after she developed complications from a fall. Her faithfulness to God's calling throughout her entire life led not only to a distinguished career, but a legacy that continues on even today. Well, you can find out more about Eunice Pike on my website, sherryhouse.com, but let me tell you one more story from her life that resonated with one of my own. You know, for some, it took years for them to be convinced that women had a place in Bible translation work on or off the field. But Cameron Townsend saw the potential women brought to the cause. Eunice and Florence might have been the first, but the work they were doing inspired other ladies to get involved, and by late 1940, five other pairs of single women were working in different language communities throughout Mexico. By early 1941, more than half of the linguists working in Mexico were women, and half of those women were single. By the fall of 1944, two-thirds of the 122 members were women. Time eventually proved to all that women were quite effective in the work and sometimes far superior in learning languages and translating. Townsend said, Those of us who have wondered just what place single lady missionaries might have in our project have learned from this lesson that God has heroines today. The fears of women being in danger or killed by savage tribesmen proved for the most part to be unfounded. Years later, one tribal chief of a headhunting people group in Peru said, If you had sent men, we would have killed them on sight. Or if a couple, I'd have killed the man and taken the woman for myself. But what could a great chief do with two harmless girls who insisted on calling him brother? Through Eunice's efforts and great example, she encouraged hundreds of women to follow in her footsteps for years to come. And I'm sure indigenous people all over the world that hear the gospel for the first time in their native tongue would want to thank Cameron Townsend, if they could, for not doubting the call of God on Eunice's life or God's ability to see her through. Over the years, I have had many people who have come behind me and supported me and encouraged me in my desire to serve the Lord on the mission field as a single lady. There have been people, of course, who felt it necessary to play the devil's advocate, and that does have its place at times, but I can never say enough how thankful I am for those few in my life who have never once voiced a doubt about me or the work I felt the Lord was calling me to. They never once asked, are you sure this is what you think you should do? Instead, they were always on board, happy for me, and let me know they were prayerfully supporting me in whatever great thing I hope to accomplish for God next. One lady in particular who has been someone like this for me is Jan Royalty. She has had a leadership position in my life since I was 16 and has been my pastor's wife for the last 33 years. 
She never once tried to be God in my life and get me to wonder or doubt what I thought was his plan, although I'm sure there were times when she worried for my safety, my potential loneliness, and the problems I would no doubt face. I'm sure, actually, in that many years, there were times when she wondered if I had lost my mind or was biting off more than I could chew. But then again, maybe not. She has always made me feel like I could do whatever I put my mind to. You see, Jan Royalty is an advocate, an encourager, and a supporter of many. She is an optimist. She is one who believes in others. She is one who sees potential in everyone and refuses to be swayed by the doubts of others. Over the years, our relationship has become one of mutual love, admiration, trust, encouragement, and friendship. Every single time I'm home off the field, my trip isn't complete until we go out to Perkins together for a meal and just share a few hours just to ourselves. My wish for everyone listening today is that they have a Jan royalty in their life. You know, everyone needs a person like that in their corner. Well, today I'd like to do a Bible study I've entitled The Optimist. The Oxford Dictionary describes an optimist as one who tends to be hopeful and confident about the future or the success of something. They're one who believes that good must ultimately prevail over evil. Today I want to talk a little bit about Barnabas. Some call him the great encourager, since that is what he seemed to do everywhere he went. Acts 4.36 tells us the disciples themselves changed his real name, which was Joseph, or Joseph, to Barnabas, which means son of consolation. This was his character. This is how everyone knew him to be. Acts 11.24 says he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Acts 13.1 tells us Barnabas was named as one of the church leaders, and in the very next verse we see that he was called by the Holy Spirit to be separated for a special work. Today, though, I want to talk about Barnabas in light of him being one of the greatest optimists. There isn't an abundance of information about him in the Bible, and yet he played a huge role in the life of the person who would eventually be used of God to pen nearly half the New Testament. At the beginning of Acts 9, we see that Paul, previously called Saul, was at the height of his persecution of those who trusted in Jesus. He was fierce in his hatred towards Christians, and his self-righteousness propelled him to do everything he could to seek out and destroy every last one who believed and followed Christ. He was definitely one of the most feared men at that time. After his conversion on the road to Damascus, Paul began preaching Jesus in the synagogues there. The Jews sought to kill him, but the Christians helped him escape. Paul then went to Jerusalem, eager to join the group of disciples there. But his arrival was not met with the same enthusiasm. In fact, everyone was so afraid of him, they wouldn't have anything to do with him. They were leery of Paul and doubted his genuineness and his motives. You can imagine how defeated he might have felt to be rejected by the Christians that he had hoped to band together with. But Paul had a Barnabas in his life. Barnabas stepped in and took him straight to the apostles. He advocated for them to listen to the story of Paul's conversion and of how he had preached boldly already in Damascus. On Barnabas' word, Paul was accepted into the fold. Barnabas' ability to look past what others couldn't close their eyes to gave Paul the opportunity to begin his ministry of preaching Christ to the world. Eventually, Barnabas would accompany Paul on his mission journeys, and together they would suffer extreme hardships, but also witness great victories for the cause of Christ. I have no doubt that the supportive role Barnabas played in Paul's life for many, many years was one of the greatest foundations for Paul's ministry success.
So my challenge to us today is to not only thank the Lord for the Barnabases in our life, but more importantly, challenge ourselves to be a Barnabas for others. You know, let someone else be the doubter. Let someone else play the devil's advocate. You be a Barnabas. What the cause of Christ needs today is more Barnabases. Well, I hope you've enjoyed learning a little bit more about Eunice Pike's story and this matter of being a Barnabas for the cause of Christ. She truly was a woman of whom it could be said, she hath done what she could. Let's you and I go do what we can do. Silhouettes with Sherry is written and told by missionary Sherry House. To learn more about Sherry, this story, or other stories about women who were used of God, read Sherry's blog at sherryhouse.com. That's S-H-A-R-I house.com. Silhouettes can be heard at this time every week on this station. Silhouettes is a Causeway Media and Faith Music Radio production. Thank you.